everybody. Um, welcome to this week's Infection Control Matters. And it's Martin Keenan here today. And I've got two guests today. I have Claire Kilpatrick with me. Now, I've known Claire for many years. Uh, she's worked with the World Health Organization for a long time at global, regional and country level since about 2008, actually. And she was on the WHO's Infection Prevention Ebola Response Team. She's focused on the uh, marketing and behavior change campaigns and very experienced in that area. So always a great pleasure uh, to talk to Claire. And she shares my love of Celtic rugby as well, don't you, Claire? Absolutely, Martin. It's great to hear you today. And thank you very much for the invite. And also with us is Martin Shovel. Now, Martin is a He's a writer, he's a, uh, a creative person, he's a satirical cartoonist. I find his cartoons very amusing, I have to say. He's a trainer of uh, professional speech writers and he's a communications coach. And he, he, he runs uh, an organisation called Creativity Works as well, where he gets involved in coaching people. And Claire brought Martin to my attention uh, with a blog posting a little while ago, looking at the word about words, and we were discussing this and we we thought we'd maybe do a bit of a podcast on the use of words, and Martin's here to help us with that. So welcome, Martin, and really great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for inviting me. So we'll kick off, and I, I basically have a hatred of one word in infection prevention. It begins with C, and it's the word compliance. And Claire also is, has a dislike to this word, but you've done a little bit of work on this, including a, an abstract you had at ICPIC a few years ago, Claire. So let's, let's hear a few words from you on on your and Julie Storr's work uh, that you published a couple of years ago. Thanks, Martin. Yes, um, probably nice to just quickly tell the story of how it started. Mm. And that was um, an interaction with Martin and Martha. Um, Julie Storr and I were invited to speak at the APIC conference um, eight years ago, about eight, nine years ago. And we were told it was a breakfast session, hundreds of people and there were. And we wanted to do something different. We wanted to talk a little differently about the topic they were very passionate about hand hygiene so we decided to spend some time with martin and martha and to cut a long story short i think in the first few sentences of us explaining to martin what we want to talk about and what we're passionate about what we do around hand hygiene he was completely turned off it suffice to say you don't have to say anything martin shovel just leave it there he was like what no this this isn't working for me. I don't know what you're trying to say. So he's an orthopedic surgeon part-time, is he? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've been there as well, yes. Um, so, you know, that was an interesting sort of whack in the face for us. How are we going to talk about this differently? And I want to just mention the fact that Martin said even things like we all tend to start our scientific papers, our presentations with the data, the numbers that everyone knows that we become desensitized to. Mm. And, you know, Martin was really pushing us not to be traditional, but to start the discussion a little differently. So the first time we went into this foray of looking at how people feel about words, how they react to the words that we use around hand hygiene was at that APIC conference where we done what Martin had told us around this toast test. And it's about how people react to hearing the word instantly. And we chose five words from the field of hand hygiene that are commonly used and tested them on that audience. And we're super surprised that we continued that work for a year, testing it on a whole other range of people. Mm. I mean, what, what were the words? Because you, you talked about warm and cool words, didn't you? Could you expand on that a bit? Or maybe Martin could talk about warm and cool words? Sure, I'll, I'll tell you what we did for hand hygiene and then I'm, Martin can definitely explain more about the actual 
concept and, and where this goes once we had our findings, what, would, what were we going to do with it? So we decided to use the words alcohol hand drop, just out of interest, um, compliance, monitoring, moment and system, which were words we were commonly using in our hand hygiene work. In total, we did the, the testing of those with the short test and that Martin can explain more about on 23 different occasions face-to-face -face with people in seven different countries. So we ended up with this a saturation of feelings from a wide range of health professionals, not just those in infection prevention, but, you know, just doctors, nurses, managers, others, um, from mm -hmm. over 2,000 people. So we tested those words. And we, to saturation, gathered all the feelings that people had against those words. So, Martin, I'll hand over to you to explain a bit more about how we then, um, how, how you described the, the fact of warm and cold words. But that's how we categorised them after we had the findings. Right. Well, first of all, my categorising of warm words or bright words or, or whatever, it's not unique to us. Okay. Um, I mean, the simplest way of, of understanding it is that the first words we used, our kind of entry into language, tend to be the words that make us feel the most. And they're often words that we learnt through action, through our bodies, you know, mum, uh, dog, whatever. And the interesting and useful connection is that they tend to be old English words. And this is interesting because as part of the huge uh, word stock of modern English words, old English words are infinitesimal, they're tiny. And yet if you look at the kind of language we use every day, they form a huge part of that. Mm. I mean, obviously, there are exceptions when we then become professional and then we start talking words derived from Latin and, and Greek and so on. So let me just illustrate it with something very clearly. So I'm a Samaritan listening volunteer. So when we answer the phone, we are all trained to say, Samaritans, can I help you? So help is an old English word. It's, it's warm. It's the kind of word you'd use with your kids, with your family, with your friends. Just think, and I think this is very relevant to, to all our clients, if we answered, Samaritans, can I assist you? Now, assist is coming through probably old French Latin, but, but forget the sort of you know, etymology. How does it make you feel? I mean, to me, and I suspect to you, I think I've got through to a call center. Yeah. So already, yeah. in terms of warmth, it's about those associations, not just the feelings, but the associations, the connections you make. Mm. And as we know, you're not going to get people to think unless you get them to feel. And if you don't get them to feel, or if you get them to feel in a negative, distracting way, you're going to um, interrupt their thought process. So, I, I mean, I hope that's clear, but it's, as, it's really as simple as that. In your work, Claire, compliance came up as a very cool word, didn't it? Yeah, and exactly. I get very excited when Martin talks about this because I still feel very passionate about how I then reflect on how we've been talking, 
in healthcare, in my work at global health level, when you're engaging with different people at different country level, you really want to engage them. So I instantly come to mind again that that what we're actually saying. And so you're going to talk to people, and I've used this in many presentations, and you're saying to them, hi, you can have the biggest smile you like in your face, but I want to talk to you about your hand hygiene compliance. And then, you know, the whole mood just tails off, right? Because we're using what we what we believe is a cold word. Now, it's over 20 years ago now since Elaine Larson and colleagues actually wrote in an article that she felt we had a problem with the word compliance. I, I, actually, and I reread that paper. And I'm really glad you made me reread that paper. And I'm thinking, why didn't I read that 20 years ago? Well, I, probably, I, mean, I may have done at the time, but of course, around that time, we were all single-handed and just dealing firefighting, really, without the the behavioural intervention so yeah I, I agree Martin you know I don't think we've valued this over the years enough because we have all had many challenges and and things to do in our day-to-day infection prevention jobs but essentially um the only other sort of key area where this is mentioned is WHO saying their hand hygiene guidelines from 2009 that clear and uniform language matters but that's mm. about it, you know. So here we are. So, yeah, to get to the point, we did that saturation. We we actually gathered 510 words that represented compliance. So we did gather a lot, a lot of words from people. But I'm going to just read some of those that resulted. And they jump out immediately. So what people instantly felt when they heard that word was difficult, mm-hmm. punishment, police, resistance, challenge, frustration, pressure, rules, force, obligation, obedience, I could go on. So I think that tells us something about how they feel, which means what are they thinking when we're trying to interact with them to support them to improve behaviours and practices, and what does it result in when they walk away from a person that wanted to talk about compliance? I mean, I would, if I can come in here. um, Please use the word clarity and I think what's really important you know there's been a lot of focus over the years and it's 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 a good focus on clarity on plain English yeah in terms of uh, information etc etc what we're talking about you know plain uh, clarity is a necessary condition for good communication but it's not a sufficient condition and the kind of sensitivity to language that Martha and I try to cultivate with our clients, and they're all experts, you know, they're doctors, solicitors, trade unionists, and every expert will tell you, no, 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 you can't say that. And of course, they forget that they're talking to other experts who also happen to be primarily human beings with feelings. Mm. Um, so I, I, I think that's a problematic word, or you've got to push it further. Clarity, as I say, is an absolute starting point, but it's not going to take you too far, particularly in the realm of persuasion and engagement. And I think, Martin Keon, and sorry, just quickly on that point, I think mm. this is the point that you and I are kind of stuck on around compliance. So if I could be so bold as to say, there could be people in our field of work who want to use the word, who are comfortable with invoking a feeling of they're policing people's behaviours. 
So that's kind of building on just what Martin Trouble just said there, you know. So it, it like experts feeling they're an expert in a field. They're talking to other health professionals who should be on the same page. So they're going. They, it's like it legitimizes the use of some of these words that actually invoke. And it could be a little bit of a power thing and being a little controversial. I don't know people like this, but well, I have to say I did meet one team who did call themselves the police and that concerned me, but that was their approach to their infection prevention um, improvement plan. But yeah, so I think, yeah, as Martin says, we're building on the way we feel we should behave with colleagues um, and, and that sense of, I'm intelligent, I use these words type of thing. So no, I mean, I, I think just to build on your point, because I also I want to make this a bit more sophisticated. I am not saying that you only use old English words. But what I am saying is know what the impact of the word you choose is going to be on that particular audience and how it's going to either aid or impede your purpose in talking to that audience or writing to that audience. So, I mean, it's interesting. So your example with, with the compliance, you know, sometimes the the person using a certain kind of language or the organization is perhaps revealing more about its underlying values and intentions than it means to you know sort of caught with your trousers down as it were i mean i certainly know going back in history and infection prevention there were there were people who liked to be rule setters and expecting people to blindly follow the rules and it just didn't work <laughs> Now, that's the thing. That's exactly it, Mark. You know, we've got, we've gone nowhere. I mean, I've reread Elaine's work from 1998 and thinking we've progressed not a huge amount, really, because we what we haven't done, we might have talked about compliance, and which is getting people to do what we think is the right thing and what the evidence supports. But actually, what we failed to do is get commitment from people. And so compliance is what happens if I'm standing there watching you. But commitment is what happens when I'm at home that night and you're, and you're actually doing it because you believe in it. And so I'm just wondering, if you're going to start a talk with about, I'm going to talk to you about your hand hygiene compliance, how can you, how can we rephrase that to engage people? Am I, are we talking about, you know, I want to talk about commitment to, to best practice and patient safety, or what, what would be the hook, do you think, then? Because you're right, compliance just has negative connotations for me. It's all about discipline and you are subservient to me, which really doesn't work when you're talking to intensivist or, or orthopedic surgeon or whoever. But I, I think that's, again, I'm, I'm just clarifying because, you know, I, I'm the outsider. It really does depend on your audience. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, sounds such an obvious thing, but it's very interesting how very clever clients can forget that, you know, different audiences require different language, a different way of speaking. Mm. So when we um, submitted this work to the ICPEC conference, which happens in Geneva every two years, coming up again this September, um, we put it in as an abstract. It was chosen as a poster. And we thought, well, that's okay. We're just getting this work out there. We're not claiming this is hugely scientific by any means, but we found it so interesting and had tested these words on such a large number of people. The abstract was then chosen for the Innovation Academy, <laughs> which is quite a prestigious award at this conference. And kind of through us, I have to say... And you then have to, uh, the first round is an eight-minute presentation on your work. 
And then if you get through it the next round, it's a two-minute presentation. And then there was a thrown-in at the end, last-minute, 30-second pitch. So it was fairly intense. But I think, that I'm, I'm telling you this because I think the point is what Martin's saying about your audience. What, when we had those results and when we were put through this Innovation Academy, we started to think, is there some kind of tool that would help you assess this in your situations? Because I'm not sure, as Martin says, choosing one other word will be the answer. And I think that also builds on what we've discussed before as well around that understanding, that capability, opportunity, motivation that drives behaviour. And although we have done a huge amount of work in hand hygiene around how people perceive behave and practice that and looking at the difference between disciplines the difference between countries difference between time of day etc although we've done a lot of that work and we know that there are a, a set number of barriers for different health worker groups I think as Martin's already said the context and the culture is always something that has to be considered at that time. I think we've mentioned maybe legitimising language like that comes from the type of culture people are working in. And I think that brings us again, and I think very importantly to say that by addressing the language and how we talk, will not fully improve hand hygiene. We have to consider it within all the other elements that tell us that we've got the right infrastructure and resources in the right place, that we're giving the feedback to encourage people that we're teaching them on the thing that we're observing them on and not something completely different, making it difficult for them to do the right thing every day. But And the big part of that is the surrounding culture that leaders, managers, whoever they may be, value hand hygiene as a positive and life-saving intervention. And we know for sure that that's not the case. Actually, when we were doing uh, one of the sessions uh, actually was in an English, I'll give you two examples, in two different English teaching hospitals. One we went um, along and um, they were kind of rounding people up to drag them in because no one had turned up for the hand hygiene session. So this was an interesting situation to be in. We felt that the culture did not perceive hand hygiene as important to go to another place where the chief executive actually introduced the session, stayed for some of the session to listen. And that trust actually committed to go away and look at their policies, to look at a lot of the way that the, the whole team was functioning and the language they were using. But that's not just about these words and the language, is it? It's about the culture that, that values what we do. So I think within the context, what we call this build it, teach it, check it, sell it and live it we've got this sell it part which is around these words and how we talk and how we remind people so it's easy for them shouldn't be a test what we you know we want them to do around hand hygiene we want to make every part of it as easy as possible for them but it's still only one part of how we might achieve that improvement martin so felt the urge to say that because as you say and i agree we're not there but there's some really big holes in this I'd like to sort of take up what you said, because I think you've made some really excellent points. I mean, and again, I'm talking total ignorance, you know, in terms of your area, which actually, can I say, when I when we work with our um, clients is a real benefit, because, you know, we, we don't know all the easy routes and we don't know the, you know, we ask the, mm -hmm. the, the sort of, you know, emperors with close questions. But f straight off, commit 
is a word. I mean, my goodness, you know, think about the association, you know, you commit murder, you <laughs> commit yourself to religion about blind I didn't faith. Think of that. No, I hadn't thought of it that and way. In terms of, in terms of what you were saying, Claire, which I think is absolutely right, you've got to have presumably a framework where there's a kind of cooperation around uh, a shared benefit and uh, a moving forward. But on the basis, again, commitment to me always faith as opposed to knowledge and reason you know you have to you know you have to really unpack that and unpick it because that underlying you know words are frames around both the feelings and the association and you get the wrong frame i mean you know we had it recently in this country with the health secretary who just recovered from um covid big iron rand fan i'm not saying that it has any bearing, but he used the word cower yeah. to uh, the rest of us who perhaps, you know, are not supermen and women. Mm. And that caused understandable outrage because people feel that people can see, you know, lowering their heads, you know, in, in, in the face of the challenge. So the kind of work that we do with, with, with individuals and groups is really at that micro level, mm -hmm. you know, it's at the, 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 the level of, of, of the individual words, the feel, it's at the level of metaphorical framing, the kind of unconscious metaphorical framing. And it's also even at the shape of sentences and the feel and the impact in terms of style and the audience. Mm. And I can't, you know, having read through, you know, some of the literature that you kindly shared with me, it's like you're often, like you can see you're on the verge of things but it's almost like you're not joining things up or going deeply enough. Mm. I mean, I'm not talking about you two. Yeah, yeah. But it's just interesting in that. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I, I was thinking commitment as. Oh, that's a good word. But as you've just pointed out, it's really not a good word. I was thinking because yeah. if you say to somebody, um, "I'm thinking about handhold compliance," that's very much it's your fault. Whereas I wondered if using the word commitment means that actually that's all of our faults. You know, if you're not committed to hand hygiene, that's as much as my fault as... No, I don't want to... I don't want, I, what, like, what I'm, what, I'm trying to get at shared responsibility, okay? So, so that's a better way of putting it. So com compliance is about it's your responsibility to do the right thing. I was thinking, you know, if you measured an organization's commitment to hand hygiene by how often it's carried out, then that, that implies a shared responsibility and that the organization actually maybe hasn't done enough to help convince you that this is the right thing. But that, that's maybe not the right thing either. But, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's not blame. It's more a shared a recognition that things aren't working. How can we all work together to do this? And how, you know, maybe you start the talk with how can I help you improve patient safety by improving hand hygiene? Sell the benefit. You know, we've seen, I mean, arguably, you know, not in a good way for society, the power of positivity, even, you know, as we are incredulous politically, and we've seen it in this country with Brexit and Remain. It's so important. Again, it's about the feeling, isn't it? People want, even in the face of evidence to the contrary, they want to feel something positive. They want to feel they're moving forward towards a benefit, something they want. And that's, that's how you're going to get people on board. And that doesn't matter how sophisticated they are, how knowledgeable they are. 
And I think that brings me, I thought we'd throw in something positive from the results from the work that we did. We tested this word moment because there is a phraseology of the five moments for hand hygiene. Now, although um, maybe not known by everyone, it's certainly inherently how most countries in the world think about it from the scientific perspective, the the management of risk around uh, microbes and workflow, etc. That's a whole other discussion. But you can imagine that that word moment invoked completely different feelings. Mm. So that was things like now, special, crucial. We even got chocolate, things like that. You know, but you got these really people. So whether people agree with that whole five moments for hand hygiene concept or not, we do currently have a word being used around that um, journey, that program program of work that is quite a nice warm word. So maybe we're not making the, the best of that. Mm. But it's also interesting just as an aside so that we're opening up and being a bit flexible in terms of what I've been saying. Moment is a really good example. Moment is not an old English word. It's through, again, old French or Latin. But it's a warm word. It's a word we use all the time. It's a word kids understand. Wait a moment. Hang on a moment. So it's a really good example of of understanding where that warmth come from comes from, and that kind of immediacy in terms of of understanding. I'm having a moment there. Does does that work in other languages, Martin? As a matter of does it work? Does it work in other languages? Does the same principle apply in in French or in Italian or in Spanish or? It's an interesting question because we, you know, we do work with, I mean, we train speech writers amongst other things, Mm. including from other countries. Um, And we've asked them. um, And I think it's not exactly this. I mean, again, it depends on where they're from. Mm -hmm. What is interesting in terms of perhaps your international audience that is interesting that the speech writers we work with who are not native speakers, I mean, they're they're good uh, English speakers, they will still respond in exercises we do to the warmth and coolness of words, and it will correlate with those of a native speaker. So that is interesting and useful. But as to, yeah, I mean, that's beyond my expertise on their, in, in their individual languages, I don't know. And we found exactly the same. That was the thing with the, the, the seven countries we did this with. It was, although they were working in English as a second language, you know, that, that it was the feeling that was evoked. There was no doubt they all felt the same. And I may be corrected. Yeah, and I may be corrected after this, but I'm sure it was Poland where they, they couldn't even conceive the word compliance. It didn't <laughs> didn't mean anything to them. That was the only situation. given their <laughs> yeah. politics, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think the word moment as well, just to come back to that, I think Martin, you just did it there. You went, I've just taken a moment. And you know that that as you know, Martin Keenan, that Sanjay Saint had written up some work around using the time to clean your hands for a bit of mindfulness mm-hmm. to take a moment and have a think. You know, you're rushing around, but we're trying to sell the benefits, mm. as we've said. Mm-hmm. Um, rushing around, you we're always thinking about the workflow of these busy clinicians and how we can build that life-saving action into their busy workflow. We don't want to be seeing it as an added burden, something extra to do. So there was things like using the phrase, you know, take a moment because you're taking your 30 seconds and you can think, right, have I got everything I need for the next task? Where am I going next? Take a moment for myself. So 
you know that that's been published as well but it's whether we can take this forward in a way that would change how people talk about it because Martin Keenan and I passionate about this topic but is everyone else is it something that um, we could do something with and I don't know mm. well it's been fascinating I've really enjoyed this and uh, I'm going to recommend to everybody that they read Elaine Larson's original paper uh, Edna Kreitz's re- original paper because you know, it was said years ago, and I'm not sure we've moved it much further forward, but I, I think we have opportunities now to, to maybe, now the team, infection control team's a little bit bigger, we maybe we can do a little bit more proactive work instead of the firefighting that we used to do. Maybe the way we interact with our staff is different from the, the old days when an infection control nurse was often the nurse with a bad back who couldn't work on the wards anymore and ruled by fear, really, and that didn't work, did it? Um, so... Plenty of food for thought, I think. Can I thank Martin and Claire very much for this quite short and frustratingly short, but we normally try and keep to 30 minutes uh, discussion. But I think plenty of food for thought and something we may well revisit again in the future. So thank you very much, Martin. Thanks very much. And thank you very much, Claire, for joining us today. Great to see you both.